God, when, when he created Adam, he created Adam both male and female. And Adam was complete in himself. He had both parts inside of him. But when he was put into the garden, he was, um, I'm sure there wasn't anything that he lacked in there because God was with him. So how could he lack anything? But yet God looked at Adam and he said, you know what, there is something that he's in need of. There's something more. He doesn't just need my companionship, but he's in need of something more, something that can walk beside him, something that can live with him day and night, somebody that can be a helpmate to him. And so he recognized, God recognized that even though God was all in all for Adam, that he needed something more. And so um, he ended up taking Eve and fashioning her out of the rib of Adam. And that leads me up to the fact that you know, man, men, you guys are so awesome. You are absolutely amazing. And yet, <sighs> we got a little dialogue going up here between husband and wife. God knew exactly, men, what you needed when he created woman. And there was only half of you because the other half had been taken outside of you. It had been taken from you, removed from you, and fashioned into something else and given back to you. And it was more perfect than what God had put into you from the beginning because God looked at everything that he created and he said it was good. And when he looked at woman, he said, yeah, she's really good too. I like what I've created. And so he's, he's, he's purposely put men and women together to walk not as separate individuals, but to be joined together as one, to walk as one, to minister as one, to love as one. And, and, and not only did he do that, he put this drive inside of each one of us for one another. You know, a healthy relationship is a man and a woman. And that's the drive that God has placed inside of each one of us. Um, unfortunately, God gave man and woman a choice when they were in the garden. And having, God could have childproofed the garden. He could have made it so that, <laughs> he could have made it so that, you know, we only had one tree or maybe even no trees that we weren't even supposed to touch or eat or, but no, he wanted to give man and woman a free will. And so he put two trees in the garden and you know, darn, we fell. We were tempted. You know, not only were we in that garden, but Satan came into that garden. And he, he, he tempted man, he tempted woman, and Eve ate of the fruit. She did something that she wasn't supposed to do. And, you know, God, God could have stopped what was happening. He could have set it up different so that we could have succeeded, but he wanted to give us a choice. He had to give us a choice. If he was a God of love, he had to give us a choice. He wanted to make and create people who would serve him and love him wholeheartedly, with their whole heart, with their whole being. Otherwise, he would have just made us robots. You know, we just did what he said, 
No feeling, no emotion, yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. And he didn't want that. He wanted somebody that would passionately pursue him with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their spirit. But Satan comes, and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes to take away what God has put together. In whatever form or whatever fashion he can do that in, that's what he tries to do with our relationships. And, you know, in, in, in the garden, you know, when God, God is calling Adam, Adam, you know, where are you? It's pretty bad when God has to ask, where are you, if he can't even find you. And it's like, okay, you guys are supposed to laugh. <laughs> that was supposed to be a funny one. It's pretty bad when God has to say, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? I can't find you. Where are you? I think what he was actually asking them is, Adam, where are you in your heart? Because you know God knew where he was. But it's like, Adam, where are you in your heart? What did you guys do? What choice did you do? Did you make? And Adam finally faces God and he said, well, God, it's, it's that woman that you gave me. She's the one that caused me to stumble, to sin. And I'm sure he looks at Eve and Eve said, well, God, if it wasn't for that serpent that you put in the garden, I wouldn't have stumbled. I wouldn't have sinned. They weren't taking responsibility for their stuff. They were trying to push it off on somebody else. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. That thought didn't enter into my mind. It was the devil that made me do it. It's like, you know what, people? Let's just fess up to the stuff that we do. Let's just take responsibility and ownership for the stuff that we do. In our marriages, there's going to be lots of stuff that we do that we have to say, you know what? I blew it, and I'm sorry. That had nothing to do with you. It was me. It was me, and I need to take responsibility for that. I need to take ownership for that. When we do that, we end up shutting the hand of the enemy. We end up closing the door of our heart that's been opened up and allowed to allow the, say, to allow the enemy come in and to wreak havoc in our lives. Because you know he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to separate anything that God has joined together. You know, Patricia talked last night about God being a God of covenant. Everything that God did was through covenant. Every relationship that he created was through covenant. And he was such an example and such a model for us that that's the model that he wants us to follow, is that model of, of covenant. You know, when we took our marriage vows, it wasn't just some flippant words that we ended up saying. It was like, I meant, I meant every single word that I said through better, through worse, through sickness, through health, until death do us part. Now, 
I know there's circumstances and situations that come into every relationship. I know that, I, I get that. And everybody has a different story and a different situation. So I'm not trying to put any guilt or shame on anybody and I'll, I'll share a little bit about our story on that a little bit later. But I do want you to know that a covenant is something that's binding and it's something that's worth fighting for. You know, in Jewish weddings, um, from what I've been told, and I haven't, I haven't like um, researched this out myself, so excuse me if some of this is a little inaccurate, but I'm, I'm pretty sure from the person that I got it from that it is perfectly accurate. In Jewish weddings, they used to bring their guns. They used to bring their ammunition to the wedding, and they would lay it out in front of the bride and the groom. And a wedding, in, in a Jewish wedding, years ago, the wedding wasn't just between the man and the woman, but it was between one family and another family. And the families were actually joining together in this union, in this covenant, in this wedding, saying, I am willing to fight to protect this union. And then the other family, it's like the in-laws. You know, they weren't outlaws, they were in-laws. They were joining together in this whole thing. And they were saying, I am right there with you. And whatever I, we can do as a family, as two families joining together in this covenant to watch our kids, to watch after them and make sure that they succeed. And as they start having, our, having children, that our grandchildren succeed. This is what we're going to do. We're going to join together. In this day and age, we've lost that. We have so... We have so lost that. Instead of fighting to protect and to preserve, a lot of times we end up standing by and watching and letting go. Um, Chris, Chris already told you that when Chris and I met, I was 12 and he was 15. And we got engaged when I was 13. <laughs> now you can see why we weren't going to tag team. <laughs> and we got married when I was 17. So I was one of those statistics that was never supposed to stay married. And I can say, thank you, Jesus, that I'm standing here happily married. We've been married, we've been married 35 years, and we've been together for 40 years. And we have four kids. Our oldest is 35. Don't try to do the math, he was adopted. <laughs> Our youngest is 30, and we have eight grandkids ranging from the age of 12 down to a year and a half. So we are, we are a very blessed family. We are extremely blessed. Um, I'm just gonna tell you just a little bit about our journey. Um, we met, obviously, when I was really young. We were camping. And, you know, people always ask me, what did you think when you first saw Chris? And I thought, oh, that was easy. I was so 
in love with him. And they're like, how did you know you were only 12 years old? And I'm like, I don't know how I knew. I just knew that I knew that I knew. And you're saying 12 years old. Well, I was a mature 12 years old. <laughs> you're saying, sure. No, really, I, 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 think, I think I was. My mom, my mom was severely epileptic. She would have about 50 seizures a day from the time I was born until probably 20 years ago now. And I would end up taking care of her. My dad would go off to work and she would be having seizures coming out of it, not knowing where she was. I would take care of her, I would put her to bed, I would stay there with her until she'd wake up and remember. And then I would go off to school. And I did that year after year after year after year. And so when, um, when you're raised in, in situations and circumstances that require more of you, you tend to grow up a little bit faster than normal. And so uh, I knew I loved him. I knew I loved him. We were together for three days. And in that three days, I was absolutely sure that I loved him. Well, he left camp. I sat on, the, sat on the end of the dock for the next three days and cried my eyes out. It was like, it could have been a movie. <laughs> he left something at camp and I found out where he lived and I thought, <laughs> he didn't leave me his phone number and I didn't think to ask, cause you know, girls aren't supposed to ask that thing and he didn't, he didn't offer, so I'm like, darn. But he did say he lived in Sunnyvale, California. So I got the phone book, looked up his last name, found one, called it, and she said, Chris doesn't live here. I'm like, oh darn, Chris doesn't live here. But I'm his grandma, and here's his phone number. Thank you, Jesus, for grandmas. <laughs> and so I called and, and, and told him that he left something at camp. To this day, I can't even remember what it was. I probably made something up just to be able to go see him. So we ended up, we ended up, um, my parents took me to his house and gave him whatever it was and, and that was that. That's where it all started. He, about three months later, he called me, which I was shocked. And my parents, I don't understand why they allowed us to do the things that they did, but that's a whole nother story. Because uh, by the time I was 13, we got engaged, ring and all. I mean, officially engaged. I wasn't even in high school. I was in junior high, walking around with an engagement ring on my finger. <laughs> try and top that one. No, don't. <laughs> don't try and top that one. Don't top that one. So here I was, 13 years old, and couldn't get married. And my parents said, you have to graduate high school, and then you can get married. And I thought, okay, I could do that. Well, I was pretty smart in school. So um, I, skipped, I skipped my, I guess I skipped my sophomore year of high school, and took some extra classes, and graduated early, a year early, so that we could get married. We had to go before a judge with my mom, because to get permission and the signatures, because I was still too young. But you know, we had a whole long time to talk about what we wanted. 
you know, how, how we wanted to live our life, how we wanted to raise our kids, what we wanted to do, where we wanted to go, our desires, our dreams, our visions. And, and we weren't Christians. We weren't Christians until probably the last year before we got married. And we ended up getting married. And our first year of marriage was awesome. Totally awesome. Except for, he didn't like to eat very many things. And I loved to cook. I was still learning how to cook then. And you know, when you first get married, you're kind of cooking the things that your mom cooked because that's what she taught you how to cook. So I'm like, awesome. It's my turn. I get to do this. And I'll never forget, I cooked, I cooked something. Um, I think it was, my mom used to take these hot dogs or these like sausages and put them in beans and, and cook them together. Well, then I found out that Chris won't eat anything that touches. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what, honey? Your mom just doesn't cook like my mom does. And my mom taught me how to cook, so you're gonna love it. I set it down in front of him. He looked at it and he said, I won't eat it. I'm like, honey, come on. This is really good. I won't eat it. So I'm like, okay. A couple nights later, I made him an awesome tuna noodle casserole. <laughs> the problem is the word casserole was in there. If it was just tuna, it would have been fine. If it was just noodle, it would have been fine. But tuna noodle, I was so excited sat it in front of him and he said, I won't eat this. I'm like, honey, come on. You didn't even try the weenies and rice or the, the hot dogs and beans. Just, just try it, honey, it's really good. And he's like, I won't eat this. I'm like, come on, please try, try. And he goes, okay. He takes a bite, he tries. He takes his plate over to the garbage and he scrapes the food into the garbage. And I'm standing there like, what did you do? He goes, I told you I didn't like it. But I told you you would like it if you tried it. You didn't even give it a real try. And he goes, but I'm still hungry. Hmm. How long can you boil tomato soup on the stove for? Pretty long. Stuck a can of soup in the pot, turned up the fire, and boy did it boil. He ate the whole thing because he loved tomato soup. You know, it was crunchy. <laughs> it was probably burnt on the bottom. But he wasn't going to complain. He wasn't going to complain at all. So besides a few rocky food things when we first got married, life was, life was amazing. It was just so awesome. We were learning things about one another, about our likes and our dislikes. And, and he started working at, a, at a, um, a station, and he had a lot of people that 
he was in charge of, and he worked lots of hours. Chris has always been an awesome provider, an awesome provider. And after only being married a year, we owned our first house at 18, which that is like pretty amazing right there. Chris and I were both working for this place, and and the business started getting busier and busier, and, and pretty soon he... He was working, he was working like 14, 15, 16 hours a day. He was not eating properly. He was living off of caffeine and candy bars, basically, to make it through. And all of a sudden, our perfect little life was starting to crumble before us. And things were starting to happen to him that I wouldn't wish on anybody. He. One day he was, he was in the bathtub and just started shaking profusely. And he was like, something is wrong. I don't know what is wrong with me. And helped him out of the bathroom and out of the bathtub and called the doctor and he said, it sounds like he's having an anxiety attack. And he said, go and get him some, some alcohol to drink and that will that'll just kind of help his nerves a little bit. So I'm like, Go get him some alcohol. I'm 18 years old. I can't buy alcohol. <laughs> I, I, and I bang, our neighbor I knew had drank, so I'm banging on their door. It's like 2 in the morning. I'm banging on their door. Please, Sharon, please open up. And they didn't open up, and we didn't know anybody else. I'm like, now what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, honey, the doctor said you got to go with me to the store to get some alcohol so you can drink it so you'll get better. And, and so I'm here I'm dry. He's shaking, and I'm dragging him to the store, and I'm standing there in front of all this stuff, and I'm like, my dad drank wine. I guess I should get him wine. And I'm looking, proof? What does that mean? And so I'm picking a bottle of wine up off the, off the thing. I'm like, okay, honey, let's, let's just do this. This will make you feel better. And, and so we, we get home, and I don't know, it's probably like four in the morning, three in the morning, and like, here, honey, you're supposed to drink this. And I gave him a glass. It's not doing anything. And I'm like, well, you shouldn't drink alone, so I'll try taking a few <laughs> sips. So... I'm drinking a little bit, and honey, you're, here, here's another drink, honey, and he's drinking it, and it's not doing anything to him, he's still just, he can't hardly contain himself, and I'm just about passed out on the table now because of this wine that I wanted to help him drink, you know, being the good wife and everything, you want to participate in what your husband's going through, so it didn't end up working out very good for me, and it didn't work out good for him. And what I found out is there's hardly any alcohol in wine, not enough to do what the doctor wanted done. And, you know, this, this whole thing, it, got, it, it, it ended up turning bad for Chris. He couldn't, he, he couldn't stay in a room. He got paranoid. He, um, he would lock himself in the bathroom when friends would come and just ask, just get rid of him, get rid of him. He couldn't function. If he was working, his mind would work. If he was stopped and still, his mind didn't work anymore. He became demonized. He, he had visitations from the enemy. I mean, physical vi visitations. Things were happening in our house. It was horrible. And here I was, 18 years old, and walking through this. I gotten pregnant nine months after we were married, and I was deathly sick. On the strongest medication, I would throw up every 20 minutes until the day I had each one of my babies. And I'm trying to just take care of myself and try and help him take care of himself. And it's like, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to survive this? 
But you know what? I knew, I knew with an absolute, beyond an absolute shadow that God put Chris and I together. That I wasn't going to let the enemy come in and destroy what God had given to me. You know, he didn't, he didn't say for better and for better in health and health. And so I was like, okay, what are you going to do with this? I'm sick. He's sick. We're both sick. We're both not feeling good. But yet, we're going to hang in here and we're going to make this marriage work. Because you know what? I didn't think anything different. I never once ever thought, you know what? Why would I give up now? You know, I was, I was, he was put in a horrible situation having to live with himself. And I was put in a bad situation because it was like, it hurts seeing your husband going through something like this. When you're walking through pain with somebody that you love, it's really, really difficult. And so many times I've seen people just bail because bailing is easier than sticking something out and walking through the fire together. But I knew that God had joined us and I was not going to give in to the enemy. I was not going to let him win at all. So we decided, you know what, we need to get Chris out of here. We need to get him into a place that is going to be a little bit slower. And we went up to the Trinity Alps on vacation. And it was peaceful. It was serene. It was wonderful. It was beautiful. And so we thought, we we're gonna, we're, here's where we're going to move. And we did. We came home, sold our house in three days. And by the end of the month, we were out of there. And packed up all our belongings. We looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> But we had the vision and the dream of Little House on the Prairie. And Chris had gone and he had found us this, this, this little house on an acre property and we were going to start our new life together. And we did. We had an awesome time. But Chris was still, um, he was still having struggles. And we found out that when life slowed down, things were magnified. What used to be, what we thought would be a healing and a help ended up being a magnification of the opposite. And so for three more years, we ended up walking through that until one night the Lord delivered him through the voice of somebody on the radio. We, we were so far up in the mountains, you, we didn't, you didn't get service very well. But he had, he had turned on the radio and he, he listened to this man on the radio only every, every few words that he could hear. And the band basically was saying that he was believing a lie. He was believing a lie. And that the truth could set him free. And you know, when, when God speaks to you, there is healing in those words. There's a release that comes. Doesn't matter what the word is, when it's your time, there's that freedom and that release that ends up happening. And so that was his night, and he became free. You know, it took about another nine months process because our life is a process. We are in a constant process. And in the process is the refining that ends up happening to each one of us. And I would not ever want to not go through that process. There may be some other processes I would choose over and above some that I have to go through if I had a choice, but we don't have that choice. But I can tell you, I would not want to skip the process because what comes out at the end, that refining 
piece of what that gift that God forms and fashions you into is something that is absolutely amazing and it's worth everything, every single step and it's worth every single fight that you have to go through to get yourself, to get yourself there. So Chris was well, life was awesome and God started showing up with all these um, prophetic words given to other people for Chris and I. And the words were, you are going to go into business. And Chris is like, I don't want to go into business. I want to be a preacher man. I just want to love Jesus and I want to tell everybody about what he's done for me because he's so set him free. One word after another after another to make a longer story shorter. Um, he got a call from somebody that had a station and said, this is Robert McLaughlin, you don't know me, but I'm gonna sell my station and last night your name popped into my head. Now this guy isn't a Christian and Chris said, oh, I'm not really interested, but thank you any much, anyway for thinking about me and he happened to make the mistake of telling me, you know, this is what happened today. And I'm like, really? And I said, all those words, you've been getting a lot of words about what we're supposed to be doing with our life. He goes, I know, they're wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, what if they're right? He goes, they're wrong. I don't wanna go into business. I wanna be a pastor. I wanna be a minister. I wanna be a, you know, spread the word all over. And I'm like, okay. So what did, what did Robert say? And he told me, and, and, and he, he told me how much money they wanted, he wanted down, and I said, and he's laughing, and he goes, oh, I was so glad when he told me, he goes, because we have no money, and we didn't, we had zero money. It was like living paycheck to paycheck, plus part of some of the other month's paycheck. You know what I mean? So I said, you know what? He goes, we have no money and no means of getting any money. And I said, what about grandma? And he goes, Grandma, Grandma left her own son go bankrupt three years ago. What do you think she's gonna do for us? And I'm like, I have no idea. Grandma just came to my mind, so what about Grandma? And he goes, okay. So he called Grandma, told her the whole thing, hangs up the phone, and she said, oh, I'll call you in the next few days and, and tell you what I, you know, give you an answer. So Chris's like, she won't do it. I'm like, okay, maybe she won't do it. So a couple days later, Grandma calls Grandma, or Chris, hi, this is Grandma. And they make a little bit of small talk, and, and she said, you know, I, I've been thinking about that, that situation you were just talking about, and I, I'm not gonna lend you the money. And Chris says, Grandma, don't worry about it. I didn't think you'd really lend me the money. I don't, it, it's no big deal, it'll be fine. She says, I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> Chris didn't know what to say. I think you tried to talk her out of it and didn't tell me. <laughs> he hangs up the phone and he's like, you're gonna, never gonna believe this. I said, Grandma said yes. And he goes, Grandma said yes. So that started this whole journey of our life from that was probably the next 20 years, that was the beginning part of the next 20 years of our life. We got into the service station. We thought life was gonna be just totally awesome. 
And it, it, it was, it was fun, it was exciting. Chris and I have always worked together every single place we've been. We worked together in the station in the Bay Area. We ended up working together in our, in our service station and life was good. We were doing everything together. And pretty soon, things started happening. We started having accidents that happened that ate up some of the money and, and just kind of one thing after another, after another, after another. And, and Chris is an entrepreneur and he gets like really antsy and has a hard time sitting still. So having only one business was like boring for him. So he decided, you know what? We got all this business, I'm gonna open up another automotive repair facility. So we opened up another automobile repair facility. And then it was like, you know what? The challenge is over Two, ah, no sweat, running two businesses. Let's open up a foreign car shop. So he opens up a foreign car shop and it's like, pretty soon that's running. He's got this manager, life is good. It's like, you know what? We need a fleet shop. Of course we need a fleet shop for heavy trucks. Everybody needs a fleet shop. So he ends up opening this fleet shop. And I'm like, honey, where's this money coming from? Oh, we're doing fine, we're doing fine, we're doing fine. So the business grew, we really didn't have the capital for it, but we had God's favor, you know, his hand upon it. God put us into business, he said this and that was gonna happen, and we were prophesied by eight people that this was gonna end up happening. And pretty soon, Chris decided, you know what? I've kind of created this, this big monster of a business, and it's all automotive, so we need to open up a parts store, an auto parts store. Well, of course you need to open up an auto parts store when you have all these cars to fix. So we opened up an auto parts store. And then that was in Weaverville, right around where all our other businesses were. We were running all these businesses at one time. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Pretty soon we started selling off the repair shops because the parts store was easier, and then we opened up another parts store, and we opened up an we started a, a remanufacturing business, and then we opened up another parts store even further away, and his time was being spread so thin, it was crazy, it was running him ragged, and we actually ended up outgrowing our capital. We had. We were growing faster than what we could. We were getting into trouble. I mean, we were getting into real trouble. I can remember, I can remember the kids were still little and I did, while the kids were at home, I worked, but I worked at home. I just moved my office there so that they could be in school. When they're out of school, I could walk, you know, I would be home so that I would be home. And, um, I knew how much money I would have available to me every month. And so I figured out how many kilowatts I could use each day, you know, off of our electric meter, off of the, the, the PG&E meter. And so it was cold and, and things, were, we were just using way too much and we were gonna be so short and I knew if I didn't do something, our PG&E would be shut off. And so I dressed the kids up in their winter clothes we built these tents. Now living out in the woods, you have, you have lanterns all the time. You, know, you have the, the, the hurricane lanterns. So we had all kinds of them. We were really well prepared. We lit the candles, we lit the lanterns, and I shut the power off to the house. I thought, 
this will stop the electricity from being used. And we did that. I did that for time after time after time. We cooked on our wood stove just to make ends meet. But you know what? We weren't in a bad situation. We were having fun. And I was teaching my kids, you know what? You can be in the middle of a crisis. You can be in the middle of something that's bad. But what good can you pull out of this situation? What are you going to focus on? There's lots of things that you guys are going through right now that could have your whole attention, that could be whole, all-consuming, that, that the enemy would have you focus on. And the Lord's saying, you know what? There's something good in all this. Are you going to concentrate and focus on the bad? Are you going to look to the good and see what you can dig out and see what you can find? So, I mean, we made food. I taught the kids how to cook on a wood stove, just like a little house on the prairie. I had cast iron pots, and, and we did the whole thing and boiled water and, and washed the kids down. And, hey, we were camping inside. I mean... We had the best of all worlds. We had a roof over our head, and we were camping. We were dressed warm. We had the lanterns. Hey, it was fun. Until Chris drove up the road. And he's like, why are all the lights off in the house? I'm like, oh, shoot, you came home faster than you were supposed to, so I'm trying to scramble around and get the power turned back on before he figured out what I was doing. And he's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, I'm building memories. <laughs> I'm making memories with the kids. He's like, what? And I'm like, honey, don't burst my bubble. I've worked hard at planning this all out. I've, I've worked hard at figuring out what I could spend each month and what I, we, we, what, from what we had and what we didn't have. And, and the kids are having a blast. And so, you know, you just do what you got to do sometimes and you make the best out of it. And God always ends up making it work out. He always ends up making it work out. Um, as time went by, our kids got, you know, kids got older. We, 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 oh, we have amazing kids. We have absolutely amazing kids, and we were so blessed with all the fun things that we did. You know, everything that Chris and I dreamed about when we were dating, we did. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. There were times that were really hard. There were times that were really fun. But we did it all together as a family. And everybody sacrificed. I can remember um, we had our, our, pretty soon our vendors were calling, like not once in a while, but all the time. And I told you I was working at home. So the phone calls would come into home. So no longer was my home a sanctuary. No longer was our home a place of peace, but now it was a place that was intruded with, with work and with, with vendors and people calling and bill collectors and people showing up on your door. You know, we had, we had our cars repossessed in the middle of the night. We called the sheriff's department saying somebody just stole our cars. And we lived in a town of 3,500 people and they're like, Chris, I'm sorry, somebody's not stealing your cars. The bank just came and repossessed them. We're like, oh, and then you get the door, the guy showing up um, collecting money for this bill or that bill. And then you got the phone, the bank calling and saying, your house is going to go into foreclosure. We lost, we ended up losing everything. We lost our home, we lost our cars, we lost, um, the only thing that we ended up having was our businesses for a while. But you know what? I was not going to let that get me down. My kids were not going to let them 
let that get them down. I remember one time my, my kids came out with their piggy bank. They had been saving money and they came downstairs and the girls handed me this bag and they said, Mommy, here, we want you to have this because this is, this is what we've been saving and, and you could use this to pay bills with. You could use this more than we could use this. And it just, you know, as a mom, it just, it tears you up inside. But yet yeah, our kids, the Lord was doing something in our kids as bonding together between them and us and the whole situation. And to this day, there's, there's situations that they've been in that they've been able to look back to in their life saying, you know what? Mom and dad were in this situation and look what the Lord had done. And God's going to do the same thing for me. We ended up losing our businesses. We end, uh, this is to shorten the end, that end part of our, our, our life. Um, we had a, a company, our main supplier was going to his joint venture with us. And by this time we had owed 1.4, 1. 1.6, $1. $1.6 dollars that we had owed. Most of it was gonna be um, a, a note transferred over to this other auto parts um, distributor, supplier. And three, three days before the deal was supposed to be completed, we got a bankruptcy notice for them from them. <clears throat> Not only did they go bankrupt, but it was taking us down too. And it was like, this is it. There's, there's nothing left. We closed off two businesses, had one left, consolidated everything down. And we, we tried and tried and tried, and it just was not happening. And by this time, we had moved. Bill Johnson wanted us to come on staff and to um, start our School of Supernatural Ministry. And we thought we were going to have our business to be able to provide for us while we were starting this school. And one of the things that Bill said, when you start this school, we can't pay you for a year. And now we lost our businesses, so we had no income for a whole year. But that's okay, because that was one of the most fruitful times in our life, watching God provide for our every need. Um, we, ended up, we ended up losing everything, but we had each other. We had our kids. And the lessons that we ended up learning from that have become invaluable. Um, the character that was built inside of me was invaluable. There was things that you don't see inside yourself until you get put under some pressure. <clears throat> when you get put under some pressure, thank you, when you get put under some pressure, you begin to see yourself in a different light that you never saw before. You know, people can say, what would you do if this happened? And it's easy to say, oh, I would do that, because it's just words, until you actually have to live through that, and then you see what ends up coming out. We, um, one of the things that Cy Rogers says, he has a quote, says, you'll never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. You'll never possess what you're unwilling to pursue. There's lots of things in your lives that people will say that's unobtainable. But if it's in your heart, I say go after it. 
and don't let things, don't let circumstances, don't let situations stopping, stop you from going after what you passionately pursue. Because when you hold that in front of you, it's a constant reminder of, this is what God said and this is what he wants for me. And don't let anybody stop you from going after your passion. You know, there's lots of you that are in here that are single that are like, is my Mr. Right? Is my Miss Right ever gonna come into my life? And I'm here to say, yes, they are. But you need to passionately pursue them. You know, I've heard some people say, oh, they'll just kind of pop into my life. And let me tell you, I've got a school of 1,200 students where there's a lot of them that are single saying, oh, he'll just pop into my life. And I'm like, come on. Sometimes I end up getting so frustrated because it's like, I'll, I'll hear him say, there's just nobody, there's just nobody here, or I, I don't, you know, I don't see anybody that I'm attracted to, or nobody pursues me, and I'm like, look around. There's all these guys, there's all these girls that are here at this school, and you're telling me that you can't find one person? <laughs> Open your eyes. Open your eyes, people. Now, I'm not saying that nobody ever finds anybody, but I think sometimes they get so intimidated and so... So just, it's like, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think it's like, they're, they're too spiritual, is what I think it is. You know, it's like, oh, God is gonna have, you know, my Prince Charming just walk right up to me and, and kneel down and, and propose, and you know, it's gonna be, the music is gonna be just right, and the, you know, it's gonna be probably about 72 degrees, you know, just the perfect, <laughs> You know, it'll be a sunny day. Oh yeah, it'll be a sunny day. You know, and it's, everything is gonna be just perfectly right. And I'm like, come on you guys, that's only on the movies. It's only in the movies that it happens that way. You know, if you are interested in so-and-so, then you need to do things to tell so-and-so that you're interested in them. Well, like what? Well, like, let them know you're interested. You know, maybe you could tell your best girlfriend that, hey, you know, I really, I, I really, you know, think I like John, and, and he, he's got a great personality, and I, and I think that, you know, we, we could try going out to coffee or something and, and seeing if there's any interest on his side. And, you know, put a bug in somebody's ear. Put a bug in your girlfriend's ear. Huh? Leak, yeah, leak information out. <laughs> leak information. I'm like, you guys, this is easier than you're trying to make it. You're trying to make it too spiritual. Just go do it. You know, it, it, if you want something, go and get it. You know, if there was a $20 bill on the ground and you saw somebody like over there and you're right here and you're both coming towards it, I guarantee you, you're gonna probably walk a little bit faster so that you can go and grab that $20 bill. How much more important is that guy or that girl that is supposed to be your spouse? You know, it's like, go grab them. Go run after them. Passionately pursue them. Don't grab them. 
You know, and then to the married people that are in here, did you know that we go through phases? Is there anybody that's just newly married in here? You guys, <laughs> you're not just newly married. Like a year? Two years? There's a few right there. It's called the honeymoon phase. We remember that honeymoon phase where everything is just, well, you know, your mind is on one thing. Each other and each other. Every part of each other. That's what your mind is on, that honeymoon phase where everything is wonderful. And then pretty soon your marriage starts going along and, and now you start having kids and you raise your kids, and we had four kids. So we had, we had four kids all within, we had four kids in high school at the same time. And our kids were always involved in sports. And so we would end up, there'd be times where Chris and I would have to say, we'd have to synchronize our watches and like, okay, I'll go to Shannon's game and Eddie's game, and then we'll switch. And then so you know, you're making things even and, and, and making it all work. And your life is just wrapped up in your kids. I mean, for years and years and years and years, we would go from one thing to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And our whole life was wrapped up in our, well, our business and our kids. And we lost our business, so that was gone. And now all we had was our kids. And pretty soon, in, in three weeks' time, our oldest son moved to Reading. Our oldest daughter got married. Our youngest daughter moved to Mexico for a year to do English as a to teach English as a second language, and that only left Jason. And you got to understand, our our house was the house that all the kids wanted to be at, because every single day that the kids were home, I baked. You know, kids baking food. They were all at our house because there was always something to eat. Well, when the other three moved out within two weeks of one another, that left just Jason. And Jason did not want to be home anymore because there wasn't any more kids. So he was gone. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness. I'm left in this house with just me and Chris. But I had a problem. Because I'm so used to, I was so used to, you know, you picking up this kid and taking him to this game and going back and picking up this kid at this friend's house and going and do this. My whole life, I didn't even realize how much my whole life was revolving around my kids and what I did with them. It was like, when I began to stop and think about it, I thought, I never do anything with Chris anymore my whole life is wrapped up in my kids and then there he was staring me in the face <laughs> we had to inter reintroduce ourselves to one another really because it was like we don't know what to do with one another you know we already did the whole honeymoon phase we already went through all that that the, 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 the child rearing you know stage and 
and and our lives were in this transition they were changing and and now it's like it's you and me baby <laughs> that was exciting because that became a honeymoon phase a honeymoon stage again it was like god just gave me a present again and it was in the form of my husband and now you know when chris and i first got married we were kids we were kids having kids. And then now all of a sudden it's like, I get to be this woman instead of a kid. And rediscovering my husband all over again in a more mature fashion. And it was, it was so, it was so exciting. It was all the all the discoveries and you know there's no distractions when your kids are gone now that when you're put into a situation like that that be, can become a good thing or a bad thing it's like we have to learn how to passionately pursue one another and just because you live or have lived with somebody for so many years if you have not been passionately pursuing that person you don't really know them because we change I'm sure you've changed in the last 20 years I know that I have my needs are different my wants my likes my dislikes my desires have changed and I'm sure yours have too and I'm sure if I asked you What would your husband or what would your wife love to hear come out of your mouth? Or what is their favorite da-da? Or if you were going to go on a romantic date, what would it be? Most of you would probably sit there saying, I don't even know what he would say. Because you really haven't been thinking about that because you've been so focused on your life and your needs and what's been pulling on you what's been controlling you but now for those of you that are married and in that phase of life I just want to say open your eyes to one another open your eyes to the beauty that lays next to you each night Open your eyes to the gift that God has given to you because there is a surprise package that's waiting to be opened up and discovered inside. Because what was put in there when you said, I do, is something completely different after all these years. We need to be able to adapt and change with each stage of our life. And too many people get stuck into that place. And, you know, they're unwilling to adapt to new situations. It's kind of like oil and vinegar. You know, we've all put oil and vinegar together and we've shaken it. And what ends up happening as soon as it starts, as soon as you stop shaking it up, it separates. And that's kind of like those kid years you're being shaken together all the time, so you're constantly 
blended together because you have to, because of situations, because of circumstances. But as soon as that stops, all of a sudden it's like there's this division. It's like you're on this side and I'm on that side. And we need something to end up bringing us together. Well, one of my favorite hobbies is cooking. And I found, the Lord just gave me this revelation the other night as I was laying on the couch, that I was thinking, and one of my dressings calls for oil and vinegar. But when I add some honey to it, or some sugar, and I whip it together, it acts as an emulsifier, a binder. And no longer does that end up separating. The oil and vinegar ends up being held together as something different in a different form that's been held together by a sweetness. If you find that your life is like oil and vinegar right now and you're completely separated, I challenge you. Find a sweetness that you can bring into that. And that sweetness looks like, what would he like if I was going to totally surprise him? What would it look like? Sugar. <laughs> it would. <laughs> it would. What could I do that he would totally be blown away with? That's what we need to try. That spice of life. Something different. That sweetness that comes and takes what the enemy tries to separate and bringing it back together. For those of you that have been in marriages and then something has happened, a tragedy, a betrayal, and now you find yourself a victim, or maybe you were the victimizer. There's things that apply to you that don't apply to other people. Our son, our son had been married for 12, he'd been married 12 years, and he's a pastor on our staff at Bethel Church. And he had gone into Chris's office and one day and he said, Dad, I think I'm in trouble. And Chris is like, what do you mean, son? And he goes, I think Heather has another guy in her life. And Chris is like, oh, it can't be. And he goes, Dad, no, I'm pretty sure that this is happening. So to make a long story short, she did. She, she was having an affair. It ended up coming out. And our daughter-in-law was never our daughter-in-law. She was our daughter. She came from a house of abuse. She was raped when she was really young. She was given over to men by her mother and then had followed in that pattern herself through high school. Got saved and Jason found her after she had known the Lord for about six months and fell in love with, fell in love with her. And he's like, Dad, I think it's over with. So 
a really long story that I'm not going to go into. He, um, she ended up moving out, and about three months later, she got pregnant by the man that she was sleeping with. This was really hard to have somebody that's so close to you for so many years betray you in a way that it was like, how could you possibly do this to my son? How could you do this to your father and I? How, how, how can you do this? How can I live with this? And yet, uh, gosh, for months and months, I think Chris and I just bawled our eyes out every single night. It was like ripping my guts out. It was ripping my heart out. It was like I could not... I, I, I didn't want to live anymore. When we had to tell the, the kids, our, our, our oldest grandson came running into Chris's arms as Jason was telling him what was happening. He's like, Papa, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to live. You know, Riley threw herself down and just bawled. And the little one, he didn't know any, he didn't know any better. When tragedy ends up entering into your homes and into your life, it doesn't just affect the people that are directly involved, but it affects everybody that's indirectly involved. And watching my son go through what he did and my grandkids, the pain that, that they ended up having to walk through was so hard. But then there was God. There's a gift that was discovered inside of Jason in the form of writing because that was the only way that he could process through his pain that we never ever knew that he had. I mean, he, he barely passed high school. He's writing things now that are absolutely phenomenal over the top. He, his writing actually for his age is better than Chris's writing was. He, God is such a redeemer on what he's been doing. But the, the, un, the amazing thing with him is his ability to walk through pain and to forgive. And to see his relationship now with his, they've divorced with Heather, his ex-wife, um, would blow you away. Because he had all right and all reason to absolutely hate her for doing everything that she did, yet he chose a different path and he chose to love her anyway through all of it. Her baby is our eighth grandchild. It's awesome to be able to see Jason, when they're together, pick up baby Jackson and walk around with him like he's his own, throwing him up in the air, having fun with him, playing with him, not showing any preference over the other three kids. I'm not saying that there should be identical love. What I'm saying is he has unconditional love for this one that's not even his, that's a constant reminder in front of his face of what his ex-wife had done to betray him. And yet he chose not to become a victim again, but he chose to be able to extend the hand of mercy, the hand of grace that comes only from God. And he's chosen to forgive Heather because he's not going to be held in that bondage that the enemy would love 
the enemy already separated and divided and destroyed. That's already done. But God is a redeemer. He is such a redeemer. So now my son is left raising these three kids. The kids live with him most of the time, and Heather will have them every other weekend. And he, um, it's just so cool what the enemy steals and takes away, what the Lord gives back. He met this wonderful girl in our school of ministry. <laughs> What's that? It's the love boat. <laughs> Chris's middle name is Cupid. But I, I just, I want to show you a little bit of God's love. And can you, can you play that video? Sound guy? Can you play it? Okay. So I, I don't know if everybody can see. It might be a little bit hard. We'll dim the lights. But this is, this is God's hand extended to my son.
<laughs> so that's their engagement photos, and their wedding is on June 4th. So, and to those of you that are in that same situation, I want to say, you will love again. You will love again. And God has the perfect person for you that's going to come into your life. The absolutely perfect person. You know, um, the Lord gave me a saying when I was in worship. And the Lord, and the word was beautiful. And God says that each one of you are absolutely beautiful. You're created just the way he wanted you to be created. And so many times we, we are comparing ourselves to somebody else. If I was only like this, if I was only like that, if I look like so-and-so, then my Prince Charming would come into my life. But God is saying, no, you know what? I made you beautiful. I made you beautiful, just the way I wanted you to be. And the phrase that the Lord had given me was, be you till you're full, beautiful. Be you until you're full of the Holy Spirit and everything that he's pouring into your life. Because he doesn't make junk. And he doesn't do things on accident. Everything that he's done for you is, has a purpose and has a place. And it's going to have an amazing outcome. A lot of times we have to walk through that process called life. But just remember in that process is the prize on the other side. And that process refines us and it hones us and it shapes us and it makes us exactly... It's like, you know, you can see something and it could be really pretty, but once it's been polished up, it's like, wow. And that's what that process does to us. That's what that life does to us. It makes us glisten with the love of Jesus. So just remember, every time you hear that word, beautiful, be you till you're full. Beautiful. For more information about XP Media, visit us online at xpmedia.com. We look forward to building relationship with you. xpmedia.com.